Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll continue tonight and we will finish our greeting and introduction from the Apostle Paul to the church there in Rome. We began this journey in January and Lord willing as we get into the summer months we'll have a little more consistency here and really we've just begun to uh, scratch the surface of Romans 1, these few verses. It's just the greeting and the introduction but it's incredible to me as I study and as I prepare just how much rich material lies underneath each verse. That's why my a great-grandfather, Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr., at, in his 80s, dying with a brain tumor at home, is consumed with where his Bible is and what he's reading. He wanted more. It never runs out. It never runs dry. And some, I think we put in our minds that going verse by verse somehow robs us of a wonderful sermon. I submit to you going verse by verse, digesting everything that's there will strengthen your faith. There have been uh, times in this study in just these first 14 verses uh, that God's really done some great things in my heart and I hope he has yours as well. But you can see um, six sermons and we're just to the eighth verse. So it could be that we're in Romans for quite some time, uh, a year plus I would imagine to get through all of this. But by the time it's all said and done and you have your notes and you keep up with uh, the outline and uh, you keep up with that catalog of sermons going back and reviewing, by the time we get to Romans, uh, we'll all need to get on a plane and fly to Rome and go see it for ourselves. We'll be proficient, Lord willing, with this incredible letter and all that happened in there. I want to step back just for a minute. I want to spend a whole lot of time reviewing but I do want to go back to one key feature from last sermon, and it was in verse number 8, Romans 1, 8. Let's read together uh, from verse 1 to verse 8 and just re-familiarize ourselves with the passage that we're reading. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. No wonder we were able to spend entire sermons on these verses. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we want to review for just a moment tonight. We need to kind of take this with us into the end of the introduction and greeting. But first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And if you'll remember that verse, we broke that down into one thought, faith that is known. We went through those eight or nine elements of what it means to have faith that is known. That what people know of you is that primary function, is that primary purpose of the relationship. When someone thinks of you either in business or personally, 
what is known of you? The Apostle Paul was saying to these Christians in Rome, some of them brand new, that their faith was known all around the world. He was expressing his gratitude uh, to these incredible people and who they were. And he wanted to be with them and he wanted to preach with them and around them and for them. And the point is, the Apostle Paul was truly thankful for the family of God. He wants to be in Rome. Remember now, Pastor Ralph preached and went through the book of Acts over uh, quite a period of time. I felt it was great that we would just pick up and go right into Romans. But you've got to remember in the timeline, Romans is written towards the Apostle Paul's end of his third missionary journey. He has been through a lot and he has met a lot of people. There have been a lot of people come to Christ because of his preaching and because of his missionary journeys. But at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul simply loved the church. He loved what it means to be free. He knew what it was to be in bondage and captivity and for his eyes to be in scales and not see Christ for who he was. The Apostle Paul loved grace and he loved mercy and he loved the family of God. That was in his heart. You can tell in the way he writes these letters to many of the uh, New Testament epistles. You can tell in his tone, other than Galatians, how he loves the family of God. And even in Romans where he begins, as we'll see later down the road, some gentle correction. He does it in a tone of love and he gives them something to build on. Uh, I'm thankful that I'm a part of the family of God tonight. I was reminded today just how beautiful it is, the family of God. Just how wonderful it is to be a part of the greatest entity ever created on planet earth that has a protective pillow and cushion given to us by God. Jesus spoke it into existence there at Caesarea Philippi. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. We can never, as we study exegesically the New Testament and we understand even today where we are as we go through life, as things get dark and as things are tumultuous and violent, we cannot remember the impact of what Jesus said there at Caesarea Philippi. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's why the first century church wanted to hear so much about what Jesus had said and what he had taught. You go 30 years, 50 years, 60 years separated from Christ being on earth and things are tough if you want to be a Christian. If you want to follow Jesus at this point in time, they're still burning Christians. They're still torturing Christians. The Apostle Paul will find out they'll still stone you or try to boil you or kill you and they will imprison you. But they remembered what was said and what was spoken, the word coming out of the north that Jesus had said to his disciples, the gates of hell shall not prevail. They held on to that, not just uh, us as a group of people, but those folks that were just a few years, a few decades removed from Christ being on earth. It's something that they held near and dear to, being a part of the family of God. Uh, he talks about these people in Rome and their faith. And this is what I want to get to. He speaks of the genuineness of their salvation. Now remember, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, who is the Apostle Paul's primary focus in his ministry? It's the Gentiles. Many of the people here in Rome, yes, there are Jews there. We'll talk about that again in a minute. But his main focus, his main ministry is to the Gentiles. But these people have authentic faith. These people have truly been converted. Now, 
some of these people that are in Rome, you've got to stay with this, some of these people that are in Rome were converted at the day of Pentecost. Some of the roots that are just two generations old or one and a half generations old goes all the way back to Pentecost. These are round one Christians. They are coming out of paganism, heathenism, idolatry, Roman God worship in multiple facets. It wasn't just that they had one or two ways of looking at God or one or two gods. We're talking about hundreds of spiritual uh, characters that these people would put their faith in and they would follow and do sacrifice and ritual. For these people to be uh, in the faith and for this faith to be authentic enough for it to be known around the world, the point is the Holy Ghost of God has done something great in the heart of these Romans. I think it may be part of the reason the Apostle Paul wants to get there so bad. I've got to meet these people who are in Rome. I've got to get to that church. There's a place in my heart down in Myrtle, Mississippi called Camp Zion. It's one of the most incredible places, not just in church history, but in American history. God used this one place in Myrtle, Mississippi, basically to keep America from completely turning her back on God. And you go back to the stories of what happened there, and their, their faith, what God did on that property, is known around the world. These people that sacrificed and gave and lived differently than anyone else that we've really seen in modern day history. Faith that's known. Well, part of the reason it was known, it was authentic faith. These were truly born again believers in Jesus. Now, I pointed this out the last time I preached around this verse, but let me remind you and then we'll move on from verse 8. I want you to really take in who the Romans are that he's writing to and how he feels about them, the Apostle Paul. Now, I love the Bible. I love what it brings to us in history. I also love that modern day history and uh, writers that wrote that were not canonized into Scripture so many times just fall right in line with what the Bible has already said. Josephus is one example. You can go to certain parts of Roman history and they're historians. I read this last time, but there was a man named Suetonius who recorded much of the life of the emperor at the time the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. It's an emperor named Claudius. And in the life of Claudius, it's a book that Suetonius was writing, the Annals of Ancient Rome. He's writing down their history, basically what's said. It's uh, ancient Twitter. What everybody did, where everybody was, and what everybody was doing. And so this guy named Suetonius writes about what an emperor named Claudius was upset about at a particular time. Not going to get into all of it, but you got to remember Claudius was the one who expelled the Jews from Rome. He said, I've had enough of them. Get them out of this city. He expels them. And then the Jews are allowed to come back. Now, where would the Jews have gone? It's an interesting thought. There's no right answer there. But when he expels them, how far does he expel them? How far do they have to move out of Rome for him to be satisfied? But when they come back, he gets even more upset. And we find through Suetonius' writing, his recording of the history, this is around A.D. 49, there's something that's found that gives us as Christians something really juicy to hold on to, something wonderful for us to read from secular history. 
If you go to the life of Claudius, it's in the 25th chapter in the fourth column in the book that I have in my office. In Latin, this is what you find written that was said by Claudius in either a private conversation with Suetonius. In other words, okay, emperor, give me the news of the day. Tell me what you're thinking. Or it happened in a public address of all of Rome. But it was recorded that Claudius the emperor said this. Now I'm going to read to you what he says in Latin and then we'll read what it means in English. In Latin, here's what was said. Judeus imploreso Christo. Assidue tumultanis imperator Claudius Roma expultit, which means since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, the emperor Claudius expelled them from Rome. You go on to read about who Crestus is, and it's a Latin name for a person named Christ. And they go through history, you read through all who Crestus is, go back and, and read really what Suetonius says further about him, and he happens to be from an area of Judea and Samaria. And whatever had happened in the area of Judea and Samaria with this person named Crestus or Christ, Whatever had happened there had made it back to Rome. And it was so mind-boggling for the Jews to hear that this Christ, the Messiah, had come, that it, it caused them to make a governmental policy shift because things were getting out of control. They still believed in uh, emperor worship. They still believed that Rome would be basically the God of people's lives. But these Jews have caused so much problem and so much trouble because of the news that's come out of Judea and Samaria. So that's the tone of what's happening in Rome. I can't even go there with what that does for my heart. But the fact that a secular historian would write down what a Roman emperor would say would basically hold up exactly what happened in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus Christ of Nazareth came out of that city, went to a place called Jerusalem, was crucified, was buried, and then he resurrected himself in his own power. Praise God. In other words, it had made it all the way to Rome from Jerusalem. That is a wonderful thing for us to ponder and to think of. And Paul's telling these people, I thank God for you and your faith. It's faith that's so strong. It's faith that's so bold. It's known all around the world. Now, that ends our review. Let's go into new meat and let's finish out this greeting and introduction. Let's go to verse number nine. Verse number nine. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing... I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto, 
that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse number nine, if you're making notes, I want you to see Paul's heart. See Paul's heart. This incredible group of people whose faith is known all around the world and the apostle Paul is pouring out his heart to him. He says in verse nine, for God is my witness. That means that the apostle Paul is making, as his words hit the paper, he is saying this with the Holy Spirit of God bearing witness to what he's saying. In other words, he's not lying There's no way he could because the Holy Ghost of God is allowing him to say it. And he's saying, for God is my witness who I'm served with my spirit in the gospel that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. Without ceasing means not to stop and always means every time. That means that the Apostle Paul, think of this, all the places he's been, all the people he's met, all the Christians he's seen converted, these people in Rome so hold a place in his heart that every single time he prays, the book says always that he makes mention of them in his prayer. That is a man with a great prayer life. You think of the things that by the third missionary journey, if you're a student of the word of God, think of what all Paul has seen by the time he gets towards the end of his third missionary journey. Think of all that has happened. Gosh, I don't want to preach ahead, but I want to preach ahead. Just understand that by the time we get here, the apostle Paul has had it rough. And instead of praying for himself and instead of praying for an easier life and an easier ministry, he says, those people that are in Rome, I want to be spiritually invested to them. When they do what they do, I want to be praying for them. Their faith is known around the world. That is a glimpse. Listen now, think of how wonderful this is that God the Holy Ghost would allow us a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. You're getting to see who he really is. I have, a, I have a perfect picture in my head that I've had for years now of when I think of the Apostle Paul, when I read a letter that he's writing, I've got the picture in my head of what he looks like. If you don't have one, get one. I see him now and I see what he looks like. He's tan because he's been out on the road all the time, walking miles and miles, going from place to place. And because of all that activity and because of the way he lives, I imagine he's not a big corn-fed boy. He's probably very small in stature. I imagine he probably still has some facial hair. I imagine that he is well-kept, but you can tell he's road-weary. And he's saying that these people in Rome so have my heart that every time I pray, I pray for them. That's a glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And frequently you'll learn as we go through these epistles, these letters that the Apostle Paul writes, he frequently records the contents of his prayer. And now he's urging these Romans to join him in prayer. Remember the Apostle Paul wants to get to Spain. And he needs Rome and he needs the ministry and the church there to support him. He's setting himself up not only to continue in the ministry, making a plan, but he's being a wonderful man of God, a witness, and a really good friend, a spiritual leader to this church in Rome. Verse 9, you see Paul's heart. Verse 10, you see Paul's tenderness. Making a request, if by any means now, at length, 
I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul knew that his life was in the hands of a sovereign God. Everything the Apostle Paul goes through, from the Damascus road to the shipwreck, everything that happens, he knows that he is in the hands of a sovereign God. Everything that's happened, everything that's going to happen, every time he was imprisoned, every time he found himself alone, every time he invested in what would be the next Timothy that let him down, it was a sovereign God who was in control of his life. And he's saying, I want to come to you and I want to have a prosperous visit with you, but more than anything, child of God, I want to be in God's perfect will. That's a man that can be used for the glory of God. You see, oftentimes, I've talked to Pastor Dwight about this a lot, modern day missions. Oftentimes, we like to put a plan perfectly in place. Here's where we'll go. Here's what we'll do. This is how we'll get there, and this is how we'll do it. Sometimes, I think we need to embrace the lifestyle of ministry of men like the Apostle Paul, who simply said, I want to be in the hands of a sovereign God who will open the doors and show me the way to go. That's who he was. You see his tenderness to the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine being converted the way he was converted on the Damascus Road. I would hope and pray you would stay tender to God. This is an incredible story. You see Paul's heart. You see his tenderness towards the Holy Spirit of God. Now look at Paul's gift, verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. This word gift is translated as charisma. It's a gift of grace. Paul's saying the same thing that God has shown me, the things that he's allowed me to see and do, I want to share the bounty of the goodness of God and the grace that he's allowed me to see. I want you to see it. I want you to partake in the goodness of God that I know of. And he's going to share with them what God has done. And he's going to do this in a way that uplifts this church in Rome. He's wanting to establish them for a future and it could be that he wants to establish them for a future where he's not around. The apostle Paul's not going to Rome to stay. This great man of God's gonna come in like a wind. He's gonna be there for a season and then he is going to go on to the next place, Spain or bust. And what he's saying is what God has shown me on the road thus far, I want to come to you and I want to show you and I want to tell you and I want you to be established in the faith for the future. Boy, who does that sound like? So many in the, in the Bible that saw the future, that saw what was coming, it's such a vital part of being a church that we do not put on the horse blinders of what's right in front of us, but rather we become the olive tree church that God wants us to be and that we think about the future. Paul wants a strong church established in Rome that can not only help him get to Spain to carry out the work of God, but when the next apostle Paul comes, they know how to act and how to respond. In other words, let's build up the future so that they're better than what we were. Let's show them what it is to really serve God. Let's give them the opportunity to be successful to do more for God and for his kingdom. Paul wanted to impart this to them. This incredible, incredible letter that he's just starting out. This is the greeting. <laughs> this is the introduction. Can you imagine we've gotten this 
much goodness already from what he's saying just in saying hello. Can you imagine when we get to the meat of this, what is waiting for these Romans? Paul's gift, and no doubt the Apostle Paul was a gifted man. Verse number 12, I want you to look at this. So this great man of God, he's writing this letter. He's talking about their faith that is known. He's really encouraging them. If I got this letter, Brother Earl, and I'm sitting in my office, and the Apostle Paul writes me and says, Winston, your ministry is known all around the world. Your faith is known. Brother, I love you. I'm praying for you every day. I can tell you by witness of the Holy Ghost of God that every time I pray, I pray for you. I'm telling you what, I'm encouraged. Just by this, I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Praise the Lord. And then look at this. Look at his humility. He says, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. This is yet again a glimpse. Remember, this is the greeting. This is a very emotional part of the letter. If you're wanting someone to read a letter, what do you do in the beginning? You talk about how much you love them. Dear so-and-so, I'm so honored to write you this letter. It's so good to see you last week. Thank God I got to see you. Praise the Lord. We got to share a meal together. It's an emotional, but it's a glimpse into who you are. It's the tone. It's the character. And what you're seeing is a humble, humble man of God. And it's humility that's linked directly back to the invasion of the Holy Ghost of God in this man's life. A glimpse of Paul's genuine humility. How would the Apostle Paul, who is the Apostle Paul, look at anybody else and say, oh, we can grow together. We can share in mutual faith together. I'm going to get something from you. What? No, Paul, I'm going to get everything from you. I want you to talk. I want to learn from you. He's saying, I just want to be with you so that I can also grow, that I can also get something from you. Let's hit the pause button right there. Where where did we talk about that today? We talked about it in preparing our deacons for ordination. That means that everybody that's a part of the church is to be prepared to serve bread to the brethren. Let me repeat it, that everyone that's a a part of the family of God that's in the church, that all of us be prepared to serve bread to the brethren. Everybody needs bread. Everybody's got to eat. But not everybody can eat just from the pulpit. The Apostle Paul saying, I'm coming. You better have some bread ready because I need to be encouraged just like you need to be encouraged from me. This is a humble, humble man who's giving us a wonderful Christ-like example of what it means to be in the church. That the Apostle Paul would say, I'm going to get something from you. I'm going to grow with you. and I'm going to be comforted by the strength of your faith. I can't imagine the Apostle Paul saying that to me, but that's what he's saying. The bottom line is God has no big shots. God is no respecter of persons. And just like the Apostle Paul, you can have a relationship with God that is so much deeper than what's on the surface. Something that's real. Something that's rooted deeply in your DNA and who you are. Paul was a humble, humble man. He knew that he was a sinner. He calls himself the chief sinner who was saved by grace in a miraculous head-on collision with the will 
of God on the Damascus Road. And on his way to kill Christians and to imprison Christians, something happens that changed his life forever and the Apostle Paul never forgot about it. I remember what I was before the Damascus Road. And praise God, I have a seat at the table. Oh, I can't wait to be with you and just to hear what God's done for you. What a man of God. Now what? An opportunity for us to grow and to be different. The Word of God is powerful. Paul's humility, it takes my breath to even consider that a man of that statue for God would be so humble. Verse 13, we've seen his humility, now we see his passion. Look what it says. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, unto you, that I purposed to come unto you. Oftentimes I purposed to come unto you. I would not have you ignorant. Let's, let's hold up right there before we go through this. He's saying, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. This is not a revival poster in full color that's had a graphic artist touch it up. This is real, raw ministry. He's admitting, I would not have you ignorant to the fact that I have tried to do this multiple times. But God had a different plan. He's not complaining. He's saying that God's in control. My intention, my plan, my purpose was to be here earlier. But I so trust God that I don't see it as a failure. Rather, I see it as God's plan and purpose for what He would have me do. It's a passion to live for God. It's three types of spiritual fruit that he's talking about here. Let's read this verse together. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come to you, but was led hitherto, that I might also, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He's talking about fruit. Now, three types of spiritual fruit. We know that there's the spiritual fruit, the attitude that characterizes a spirit-led believer. There's the righteous actions of those who are in the faith that follow the Holy Spirit of God and what they do and how they live. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the third and final type of fruit, and that's new converts. I wanted to come to Rome. I tried. I'm being transparent. I tried multiple times because I wanted to come to you and together we would have seen fruit for the glory of God. We would have seen new converts in the family of faith. I wanted to come to Rome to see the womb of the church open and new babies be born. That is Paul's passion. I want to come preach the truth of the gospel in Rome because I want to see fruit. I'm not just coming to show up. I'm not just coming to kill time. I'm not coming to go on a sightseeing tour. I'm coming to Rome because I want God to save some people. That's a passion in his heart. With all that had happened, with all the negativity, with all the pushback, he could have said, well, I've tried and I'm sorry, I can't come. But he's saying, I've tried multiple times. I trust God. He's held it off and I'm coming, but it's because I want to see fruit. We remember now that Paul remembered what it was to sit at the table with the Sadducees 
and the Pharisees. Paul has been before in a place where religion and religious action and law-keeping and knowledge and intellectualism, where that was the God. He's been there. And the Apostle Paul's passion, you'll read later on in Romans, you saw it some in Acts, some of the things that were mentioned. But the passion of this New Testament Bible-believing group that were just born into the faith, Jesus has just been gone 30 or 40 years. And these people were infatuated with folks hearing the truth about who Jesus is, who He was, and what He could do for them. Their passion was that Jesus Christ could save them and change them for all eternity. And Paul's passion is on display through this entire book. You're going to see it over and over and over. The Apostle Paul, get in your mind now that the Apostle Paul is a slave. This man is not a free man. He's free in the new liberty of Christ, but he is a bondservant. He is a slave to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and he is a happy, content, Holy Ghost-filled slave. His life's passion is that people would come to Christ. Real fruit. Not emotional, knee-jerk religion. But that the Holy Ghost of God would flood somebody's heart, convict them, show them Christ, and save them from an eternity in hell. That was Paul's passion. And as we'll find out later, God had called him to the Gentiles primarily, but he becomes later on in his life infatuated with his kinsmen according to the flesh known as the Jews. Obsessed with their salvation. At one point we're going to see, we're going to skip ahead a little bit here, but at one point we're going to see that the Apostle Paul repeats something that he's already said here in chapter 1. The Holy Ghost of God bearing witness, for God is my witness. Later on he'll say, Christ as my witness, the Holy Ghost bearing in me the truth that if I could, I would die for my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jew, and I would be anathema, I would die and go to hell for the Jew. If they could see Christ and if they could be saved, I would put myself in hell. God knows the sincerity of my heart. This is a man that is driven with passion for the truth of who Christ is. Lastly, we see Paul's passion. And then lastly, verse 14 and verse 15, we see Paul's debt. Paul's debt. Paul had an obligation to God to fulfill his divine mandate to minister to Gentiles. We remember God's conversation with Ananias. Go back, if you've not read that in a while, go back and find that story of Saul's conversion before he becomes Paul and look how God orchestrated his conversion. God prepared a man named Ananias to be prepared to receive the Apostle Paul. And in that conversation, you'll catch something that God tells Ananias just exactly what his purpose is for the Apostle Paul. And it's for the Gentiles. He tells him that. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse number 15. I want you to see this. 
This is God's conversation with Ananias preparing for this man who has seen something on the road, who is blind and who's all messed up. He's going to come to his home. And God's telling Ananias exactly what's going to happen. I love the fact that God will tell somebody else what God's going to do with you before he even tells you that he's going to do it. I've lived that. Musette Sexton was my Ananias. Boy, one day you're going to preach. Boy, one day you're going to serve God. Grandmama, what are you talking about? Weston, it's okay, buddy. I'm sorry, pal. I hate it when I fall out in the middle of preaching. I've done it before. Poor little buddy. We need to keep some popsicles in here. Everybody loves a popsicle. Poor little pal. I love that boy. Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said unto him, now this is God, not talking to Paul. This is God or Saul. This is God talking to Ananias. Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. Do what I tell you to do, Ananias. Why? Because he is a chosen vessel unto me. Don't worry about who he was 15 minutes ago. You be obedient. I've got a plan for this boy. And he tells him the plan. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul remembers what it was to be the extraordinary Jew on his way to kill, to harm, and to imprison Christians. But he remembers, thank God, what Jesus did for him on the Damascus Road. And he's saying, Rome, I owe a debt. God saved me, he changed me, and now I owe him. I owe him my everything. He mentions two groups that he's in debt to. He says the Greeks and the barbarians. At this point in history, you've got to understand this. This is a little historical context and it will help you understand what he's saying in this verse. But at this point in history, people of many different nationalities from all over the world really had embraced the Greek language. Okay? So it would be like Canada, Mexico, the United States, Costa Rica, and Brazil all saying we're going to speak Greek. Now, I'm an American, but I speak Greek. But in that point in history, because I spoke Greek and because I embraced Greek culture and because I embraced Greek philosophy, I get, I get piled up in what's called the Greeks. This is anybody with an education. This is anybody that's uh, known to be wise. Greek mathematics, Greek science. Greek theology, Greek governance. It's all part of someone who's part of the upper echelon of life. The Greeks. It's not just those who are in modern day Greece. This is anyone who speaks the language of Greek. They were sophisticated. They were the elite of Paul's day. And because of their deep interest in Greek philosophy, anybody that was a part of that group or a part of that club was deemed by society as a wise person or a wise man. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? So he's saying, I'm not only in debt to the Greeks, but I'm in debt to the barbarians. I am a debtor. This is verse 14. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise, there it is, He's just repeating himself, both to the wise and the unwise. Now, the barbarians is anybody else that did not speak Greek, 
that was not cultured, that did not embrace Greek philosophy and theology even, anybody that did not do the things the way the folks who called themselves wise, they were considered barbarians. That seems harsh, but that is the culture of the day. The Apostle Paul is saying, I am a debt to both groups. In other words, I am not simply here to entertain people who think of themselves as upper echelon. Rather, I'm here for those who are the upper echelon, and I'm here for the barbarians. The ones who don't know how to read, the ones who don't know how to write, the ones that have no access to any type of culture or government. I'm here for both of them, and I'm in debt to both of them. What could be the debt? Well, he tells us in verse number 15. So, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. That means, again, his passion, his focus, and his burden to the Greeks, to the barbarians, and to those that are in Rome. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Paul's point was that God's gospel, that he calls it in chapter 1, belongs to no man or to no group. Thank God the Messiah didn't belong just to the Jews. But Gentile puppy dogs like Winston could be grafted into the family of God because God's no respecter of person. And Anglo-Saxons and people with olive skin and people with blonde hair and people with black hair and people from this side of the world and people from that side of the world and black people and Asian people and people from all over to the Greeks and the barbarians, I owe them a debt to preach the gospel. That's how he opens the letter. I can't wait to get into the rest of what he has for us. Next time we're together and we're in this study of Romans, we'll go through the theme. It's two verses. I don't know if we'll get through both verses in one sermon, but he starts to lay it out. The theme for why he's writing this book. You say, we've got a pretty good idea. Oh no, we're just getting started. This book is a most important book for the day in which we are living. I think it's no accident that God has us exploring what's in Romans. Because in Romans is true salvation. In Romans is sanctification. In Romans is justification. It's all there in front of you. I can't wait to study it together. Next time we dive into the theme of the letter. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for the Apostle Paul. Lord, I want to thank you for the word of God that is so real and so true. Oh, Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts through the noise of this day and this age. And God, it gives me hope. It gives me clarity. And God, it lays out before us a beautiful banquet of bounty and blessing. I pray that we'd eat of it, that we'd consume it. God, that as we just go through verse by verse, that God, that the rich, delicious meat that's here before us on the table would fill our hearts and satisfy our souls. God, I pray that as we grow as a church, as we develop personally in our spiritual walk of faith, God, that we would remember men like the Apostle Paul who came before us. 
who laid the groundwork and the foundation that we'd have something to hold on to. Holy Ghost of God, thank you for inspiring him to write this letter. Help us never to get over it. Jesus, we thank you for being the example of the Apostle Paul and for stopping him on the Damascus Road so that today, thousands of years later, I could read about what you did in his life. Lord, give me personal revival through the life of the Apostle Paul. God, I want to vicariously through him, I want to experience faith like this. I want to know discernment and wisdom like this. I want to know sincere faith like this. God, I pray that you do it in my heart. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But Lord, it's me. I stand in the need of prayer tonight. Touch my heart. Encourage me through these words. Thank you for our canonized, beautiful Bible that we can cling to as truth, every word truth. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. Don't you love the Bible? Can't get enough of it. Thank God for the Bible. I don't have this figured out. I don't know what your babies are going to face. I really don't. But my God, you can cling to His Word. You can cling to the Bible tonight. Don't fall out of love with it saint of God that's been serving God for years and decades my prayer for you people that have gray hair that I love and respect is that you fall in love with the word of God like never before because the children that are next door and the teenagers that are next door need some examples before them men and women who are full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost that love his word I'm overwhelmed tonight that we have such access Oh, he's good to us. He's good to us. Oh, he's good. And his word is, as Pastor Rory said this morning, sweet like honey. Oh, I love it. And I love you for putting up with me and for studying together. I hope you have a wonderful night, a wonderful week. Stay safe. get an opportunity this week thank the Lord for his word if you get an extra 10 minutes this week give it to God in his word and be encouraged I know the world seems like it's falling apart but in this day and this age what you need is the word of God like you've never needed it before and that's what your family needs I love you church Let's pray again. Let's just dedicate it again to him. Now, Lord, you know our heart. You know what we're facing as a country and as a people. God, I'm overwhelmed with what we're watching happen to the country that we love. God, it breaks my heart. But God, I pray this week that Trinity Baptist Church, that God, we'd cling to your word like the life raft that it is that never sinks that never goes down, that never fails. Lord, give us a love for the word like we've never had before. I pray for the parents that are in here tonight. (laughs) Oh God, 
Touch these parents. Oh, Lord, I beg you in Jesus' name, protect them. God, help them to see it's worth it to have their children in church. That it's worth it to teach the Word of God in their home. Lord, I beg you, start with me, but change us for your glory. Sustain us for the future. God, prepare our hearts for what's coming. May your people be faithful to the Word of God. Lord, I thank you for this service. And I thank you for what you allow us to glimpse into. I thank you that the Holy Ghost of God was here today. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I adore your name for what you are and for who you are. And I ask you to encourage thy people tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray again. Amen. We better get out of here or we might be here till the cows come home. And I've not seen a cow come home yet. I love you, church.